I have Tim Hogwood, who's co-founder and CEO of Sourceville with me on this episode of Grow With The Flow. Sourceville is a sourcing and outreach platform for recruiters to keep track and execute their daily recruiting activities. Made up of a sourcing extension that works pretty much anywhere on internet. And uh, it also integrates into different email providers as well as leading ATSs and CRMs uh, operating all over the world. Um, leading one being Recruiter Flow, of course, um, and Sourcewell uh, helps recruiters automate tedious, monotonous, administrative tasks that helps them spend their time um, on things that actually matter and keep them sane. Uh, Tim, welcome to Grow With The Flow. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. But not as great as it looks like you're doing with your fantastic background, Manan. Well, yeah, no, I am, um, you know, living in the middle of the Himalayas at around 8,000 feet altitude right now. It's, as you can see, it's really, really cold out here. Um, and, uh, but yeah, this is one of the most incredible places that I've seen in my life. I honestly thought it was a Zoom background when we first joined the call, but it turns out it's real. <laughs> yeah, no, it is, you know, as you can see. Um, so, Tim, uh, we have, uh, we've spoken a little bit, uh, uh, you know, during the integration process uh, and LinkedIn um, uh, or, or a period of last six to eight months. Um, but I would love to, you know, have a quick, you know, to show our uh, uh, viewers a quick demo of how Sourceville uh, integrates with Recruiter Flow uh, and uh, uh, what does it do? So, you know, if you want to share your screen and run us through that, that would be fantastic. Absolutely. Awesome. Can you can you see see my screen? Okay, here now. I can. Yes. Awesome. So, um, just a super quick twenty second overview of Sourcewell, so it makes sense for people watching the podcast, and then obviously into the interesting part, which is the Recruiter Flow integration. So. As, as Manan quite correctly said, uh, we're a sourcing and outreach tool. Day-to-day, uh, -day, most recruiters will interact with us via our Chrome extension, which works wherever you want to around the web, whether that be LinkedIn, GitHub, or even RecruiterFlow. And then obviously the web app itself, you know, we capture all the kind of metrics that you care about as either an agency or an in-house recruiter uh, around both candidate sourcing and business development. So you can measure things like your open rates, reply rates, interested rates, which again, we do automatically, which is quite exciting, uh, and also things like diversity metrics and see how the team is performing. But obviously the, the main value in a tool like ours working alongside Recruiter Flow uh, is some of our kind of hyper-personalized sequence building, which works across both emails and texting, but you can also keep track of these other activities in the sequences or campaigns, whether they be in-mails, you know, phone calls, general tasks, whatever you want. We can do things like A-B testing and even add kind of hyper-personalization down to things like pictures as well. And obviously what you're looking at on screen here is Ben, one of our salespeople. And so you can imagine we can put personalization into not just kind of the text of things like e emails and in-mails, but also start adding personalization like this. And why that's really cool for kind of recruiter flow customers is that we also work alongside sourcing sites, but also alongside your CRM and ATS. So in recruiter flows uh, perspective here, uh, we have the source Chrome extension opened alongside. You can see a list of uh, made up candidates and myself in recruiter flow. And you can select all of those candidates and effectively with one click of a button, add them all into a sequence of your choosing. So for example, if I were to choose this one here, um, I can add all 11 people in this list 
if I have their details, I can obviously add them in if I don't. And if you want to, you can even hyper-personalize along the way, which as I'm sure you guys will hear later throughout this podcast, I'm very, very passionate about. But with one click of a button, those will all be going out from your Gmail or your Outlook. We will pick up if someone has responded or if someone hasn't responded and then send, send the following subsequent follow-up if it's an email or a text and also help you keep track of any other tasks that you need to do, like sending an email or doing a phone call, et cetera. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you so much, uh, Tim, for that. With, with the demo out of the way, um, you know, what we would like to uh, talk about. So one of the things that I find very interesting in Sourceville uh, is uh, it's not just emails. Uh, it, it's multi-channel uh, approach to getting somebody's attention, which is, which is fantastic. Um, what are your thoughts about, you know, there is this constant battle of in-mails versus emails. Uh, what do you think? Uh, what do you observe uh, with Sourceville customers? And if you can give us some numbers in terms of, you know, uh, response rates of in-mails versus emails, that would, that would be fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, it's very, very British of me, and I'm always <laughs> slightly political about this stuff and stick, stick in the middle. But the, answer, the horrible answer is it really does depend. Um, but I guess I suppose some of the pros of in-mailing is um, you do have guaranteed deliverability as long as someone is on LinkedIn. I think that's a big if though, because again, a lot of the recruiters, a lot of people we work with, their life is spent living on LinkedIn. A lot of high value candidates and passive candidates aren't really on LinkedIn and they may have even turned off their email notifications. But if they are on LinkedIn, you know they're going to receive that email. And I think probably the other advantage is social proof. Um, and again, obviously you can get around this in your email by making sure you've got a good email signature, you're pointing to a good website, it's part of your, your, the email domain that you're reaching out to someone on. Uh, but you know, having that social proof of your LinkedIn profile that someone can quickly take a look at is, is really, really helpful as well. Um, however, I'm probably slightly biased here. I see you know, a lot of pros uh, around emails as well. So firstly, is obviously no limitations. Yeah. Uh, obviously within mails, they can be quite expensive. Uh, you know, you can be limited to 25 or 50, depending on what, you know, you've got recruiter light, recruiter corporate or sales navigator. Um, secondly, I guess, as we were pointing out before, not everyone is active on LinkedIn. You know, a lot of the people who are actively job seeking uh, will respond both well to emails or email. But actually, it's the passive candidates that aren't spending their time on LinkedIn uh, that are the ones you probably really want to get in touch with as a recruiter. And those are the ones uh, that, you know, email, they'll probably respond a lot more highly to, or at least they will at least see your message as well. Um, touching on the metrics as well, we see better response rates. So uh, response rates, again, really, really vary depending on the type of recruiter the volume of messaging they're sending out and, of course, targeting, uh, you know, but it can range anywhere from, I mean, we really like to see everyone on the platform at the absolute bottom, having somewhere, you know, around a 10% uh, response rate. But, you know, especially for some of our in-house recruiters that utilize the product, we can see response rates, you know, anywhere up to 40, 50% as well, whereas, you know, in-mailing can be a fair bit lower depending on the type of candidates you're reaching out to. If you're, look, if you're a rec to rec and you're looking to hire other recruiters, then, in-mailing was probably great for you. For anyone else, maybe a technical candidate, maybe particular roles that don't spend a lot of time on social media, uh, I think emailing is going to be your bag. Yeah, absolutely. And um, in, in fact, um, um, uh, for, for some of our customers, I also see who work uh, with salespeople, they also find a great response rates on in-mails because essentially salespeople also end up spending a fair bit of time uh, on LinkedIn uh, which, you know, so the platform uh, becomes, uh, you know, it, it becomes easier to catch their attention on that platform. But on the other hand, 
um, at least in the domain uh, in, in our world of software engineers uh, and technical candidate, you know, it's very difficult to catch their attention on uh, in mails, you know, uh, from what I've heard, it's, uh, but, uh, uh, you know, uh, as, you know I, I think some of those hunches are uh, confirmed uh, by your data, right? So, which is, which is fantastic. Uh, uh, absolutely. And it's, uh, there's a really interesting study, I think, by Stack Overflow that was looking specifically at technical candidates and seeing what was their preference of outreach from a recruiter. And I think roughly 60% or so was from, from the email channel, as opposed to LinkedIn or social media, which is really, really interesting. Yeah. And I suppose one other thing to, you know, disambiguate between emailing and in-mailing is, is follow-up functionality. Obviously, I'm biased here in SourceWell's key functionality is helping you do that follow-up. Um, but some of, the, some of the data we see is 70% of responses come from a follow-up. Yeah. So if you're not following up, you're really missing out. But if you're doing that manually by going through your sent items in Outlook and clicking reply or on LinkedIn, you're having to use another credit or you're having to go and manually remember to send those in-mail follow-ups, that's where a real gap starts to grow between emailing and emailing when you're using some kind of email sequencing tool as well to help you with that. Perfect. Yeah, no, that uh, makes complete sense. Um, so we, we talked about in-mails and uh, emails, which is uh, uh, you know, a slightly contentious issue, but we, we are, I'm going to move towards something that is um, is controversial. I wouldn't say contentious, but it's, it's actually controversial, and that's cold calling, right? So, um, I, I joke uh, with uh, uh, my co-founders that there are two types of recruiters in the world: uh, those who love to cold call and those. Uh, who think that uh, the ones who cold call are basically boomers, right? So uh, what's, what's your opinion? Um, our world is very, very divided on this. Uh, I would love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. Really good question. So I think like most relatively divisive topics where people are quite polarized, the answer isn't one end or the other. It's <laughs> uh, you know somewhere in the middle. I know that's not a particularly exciting answer, but I do think it's true in this situation. Um, and I mean, the fact of the matter is, cold calling does work. You know, our sales team use it. It works. We work with a load of recruiters who use our product who cold call a lot, and it really, really does work. Um, but the, the counter side is just like cold emailing. You know, if you're going to throw mud at the wall and see what sticks, um, you know, that really, really won't get the outcome. You'll be dialing loads of numbers, uh, but you won't be getting the output that you want. So I really do think it's a balance. I think anyone that only cold calls and I think people that don't cold call, they've both got it wrong. I really think it is somewhere in the middle. So how we find value, at least from our sales perspective, and again, I'm sure there'll be people listening that have got much more experience selling in the recruiting world than I do even at this point. Um, but, you know, as part of your sequence, it's about sending an email, even sending a LinkedIn connection request um, and making that call as well. And I think why that can really help as well is it's about, you know, when you call someone, you, you definitely know that you're getting their attention maybe for that 20 seconds, 30 seconds. Um, but obviously, if you've backed that up with some kind of presence beforehand, whether that be all the way from marketing right down to they've seen your presence on LinkedIn, you've previously sent them an email, having that kind of building that trust and that someone's heard from you previously. And I think communicating across a lot of different channels can really help as well. Yeah, sure. Makes sense. So, uh, I mean... Again, one of the things that I love about Sourceful is its multi-channel approach to, uh, um, you know, getting somebody's attention. Um, and uh, uh, you built a, a, a whole platform around uh, that concept. Now, um, 
help, help us out here. So let's let's just say that uh, you know we have all of these tools uh, at uh, at our disposal, right? So emails, in mails, uh, and calls, right? As, as, as let's just you know uh, uh, put uh, SMS, uh, throw SMS as well in the mix, um, and uh, so. For a typical recruiter, right? Like, let's say I want to catch attention of uh, VP sales of, uh, you know, a thousand people um, company in uh, UK, right? So it's a tech company, VP sales. Uh, what would that ideal uh, sequence look like to you? Uh, and what does your data suggest? Absolutely. So I think, yeah, the, the, perfect person you've given there is probably the kind of person that already sees a lot of outreach already so probably one of the toughest to get a response from but I think yeah the, the points that I would make here are probably relevant for any kind of person you're targeting and again the first one that I will always hammer on is personalization is you know anyone can pick up when an email's got a high first name like hi Manan hope you're having a nice Tuesday morning you know anyone knows that that can be part of some kind of mass mail merge or even worse using a marketing tool like MailChimp to send I think if you at least spend the time to read that person's profile and just put a sentence or two that obviously hasn't been automated as part of your first outreach you know take a read of their profile maybe you've got a mutual company uh, maybe you've got a mutual connection uh, you know maybe even a college a university whatever it may be or something that they posted on LinkedIn recently I really really like to use that tactic especially as you've just said Manan if they're a VP of sales they will be publishing a lot of content on LinkedIn they'll be commenting they'll be liking activity you know picking out a point that they've previously made because we're all human right when people post up on social media we're all very aware that a lot of people are reading that stuff and we're all a bit self-conscious we've all got imposter syndrome so if you you know take the point you know Look at one of the points that they've made online and say, hey, you know, maybe you might want to like it in advance as well. This is what I was saying about the multi-channel approach. But then reach out to them over email and say, hey, you know, I saw your comment on X, Y, and Z's post. Uh, I was really impressed. I really, really agree. Or actually, maybe you don't even agree. What do you think about this? Try and trigger a bit of dialogue rather than just trying to force your offering straight down their throat. It's about offering them something of value as well. Maybe it's kind of confirmation. You know, yeah. maybe it's talking about your product and saying this is how it would provide value to it, whatever it may be. But um, personalization. Next, I know it sounds quite basic, is, is keep it short. I think a lot of people, especially when they start using automation, they change from when they were manually emailing people uh, and they actually change their approach. And actually your approach shouldn't change. Automation should just be used to automate the administrative manual parts. You should still be sending the same kind of messaging. And we, we often see this in people's follow-ups as well. You know, with that VPSL, maybe their follow-up will include a really long email on like, why Sourcewell or whatever it is, is such a great product. And actually that's not natural. If you were sending someone a follow-up from your emails, it would be much shorter, much snappier. So I think it's keep it short. Um, and also for me, again, maybe because I'm British, a bit of humor, really, really like a bit of humor in my emails. Again, depending on the type of person you're reaching out to, if you're reaching out to someone really senior, maybe you don't want to fill your email with emojis. You know, if you're reaching yeah. out to someone in Switzerland, Germany, you have a lot more formal approach on your email. Yeah. You may say, you know, hi, Mr. Hogwood, rather than hi, Tim. You know, if you're reaching out to, you know, people from different backgrounds, gauge it and then obviously change the general tone uh, of your email as well. You know, utilize something like Grammarly alongside to make sure that your tone is correct. Those would probably be my my three top tips. Okay, so, um, all right, and... How many steps and what would those steps involve in that sequence, in that in that dream sequence of yours? Oh, dream sequence. So in terms of number of touch points, 
Um, you know, we see it's actually different on geography as well, which I find really interesting. So, you know, touch points might be anywhere from three to six. Um, to give an example of that, we find in Europe, you know, people use fewer touch points, which I think is correct. You know, looking at the data we see going across systems, we're a bit more conservative, you know, about outreach here. Um, we're, we're a bit less used to being kind of bombarded with information. And, you know, it's due to different regulations, different controls, et cetera. Whereas actually, when you look at some of our North American clients, uh, you know, they have maybe longer sequences with, you know, an increased number of touch points and it does work so it slightly depends on where this vp of sales is if they're in europe if they're in the us i might have a slightly different sequence um but actually i you know i i do quite like to, if you're discovering that person on linkedin i like to send them a connection request you know it it, it provides that social proof that we talked about that you one of the pro, pros of using email uh, but actually without the cost of sending an email so you know just sending a connection request make yourself known uh, you know maybe commenting on a bit of activity on their, their linkedin profile uh, and then i yeah would always encourage as my kind of first actual outreach step uh, an email i find it it works the best um, i would keep it a short a short snappy subject line um, i'm sure you've probably spoken about this previously on your podcast as well but um, shorter subject lines you, you can put various different things in them you can put various bits of personalization the one thing that stands out for us is people that use shorter, snappier subject lines, even just the person's first name or even the name of their company. You effectively want that subject line to be clickbaity enough that someone <laughs> is intrigued and they click it, but not too clickbaity that they're like, this is not relevant, you know, and they become angry and they delete the email or even worse, they mark you as spam, which is yeah. the ultimate number one thing you do not want. Um, so I think, you know, shorter, snappier subject lines, that first email is going to provide value. Um, you know, a follow up, I would also do by email. And again, we find, uh, again, it depends if it's sales or candidate sourcing, it's slightly different. Uh, but in terms of that outreach, so if you're reaching out to a VP of sales, you know, maybe you want that outreach maybe two days later, um, I would probably have a slightly more aggressive, uh, you know, minimum gap between my steps for someone in sales because they play the game as well, right? Yeah. Uh, whereas if I was reaching out to, you know, someone that's less used to outreach, I'd probably have a slightly more conservative, slightly increased gap. But anywhere from kind of two to four days, we find is good. Anything after that, I find you feel you're still front of mind for that person, but you're really not. You know, if you say, hey, just following up on my previous email um, and your previous emails from ages ago, they will have probably received a lot of other emails and they will have forgotten about it. Um, on that point, something else we also see that's quite valuable is the sender's reply. Um, so sometimes we find people like to utilize sending an email as a completely new chain. Um, what we see is that having it as a reply uh, not only seems more natural, but does get a better response rate because people remember your first outreach. Yeah. Uh, so we find that that works really, really well as well. Um, if you have that person's cell phone number or phone number, uh, depending on the geography, depending on the, you know, the kind of person they are, I would definitely recommend throwing a cold call in there maybe as your step three. Um, and, you know, f final resorts because it's quite expensive. But, you know, if you have in-mail credits, absolutely send an email at the end of your sequence as well. If you have it, if none of the rest has been successful. But I would, I would often use that as my last resort. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense because, you know, in mails uh, also, you know, LinkedIn will uh, limit your ability, to, at, at least rate limit uh, your in-mail sending if you do not meet a certain threshold uh, of uh, response rates and things like that, right? So, I, I think it's like 13% or something. It's probably changing all the time. Um, <laughs> I mean, as we saw recently, you know, a lot of... Uh, a lot of people do use LinkedIn automation tools. Obviously, software isn't that for obvious reasons. But um, 
I think, you know, was it three or, three or four months ago, LinkedIn brought that connection request limitation? Yeah. You know, I think it was roughly about 100, uh, 100 a week or something like that. It varies uh, depending on your profile and your kind of success rate on connecting. But I think that was really quite disruptive for a lot of people. Um, and maybe what I'm going to say here is quite controversial. I don't think that was a bad thing, though, because I think it makes people focus uh, and it, it, you know, it stops people just automating the wrong part of prospecting and candidate sourcing, which is using some kind of automation tool to pick the person for you. I personally don't agree with that at all because I really think there's a reason why recruiters still have a job and they will do for many more decades. <laughs> yeah. And that, in fact, it's still you know, human intuition on picking that person and hyper-personalizing that messaging isn't something that AI, robotics or machines do a particularly good job of for now. And I don't see them actually doing a particularly good job of it for the at least the short term. Absolutely. And so... Um, <laughs> By having that limitation on who you can connect with, all that's limiting is people using automation to automate reaching out to a you know huge number of people without taking the time to look at them. So I think that you know there's been a lot of changes for both sales and recruiters with the changes that LinkedIn bring in. Obviously, using emailing alongside lifts some of that limitation, but in general, I'm all for the you know hyper-personalized, you know, still volume, but maybe not thousands and thousands of people a week because I don't think you've taken the time to read their profile and frankly you won't get the response rate you're hoping for absolutely no and uh, every it's like uh, you know some some of these technologies are pretty new to the world of recruiting right and um, how how it happens with uh, you know whenever somebody finds a new tool uh, they kind of just uh, you know go nuts with it uh, to their own detriment right and that is kind of what we see with a combination of people, you know, some, some of the products, especially AI powered uh, selling pipe dreams, right? So uh, I, have, I have, you know, I, I'm, you know, as an engineer myself, I have absolutely nothing against AI. I, I just have, you know, I really, you know, I kind of, I, I look at something very skeptically when, they say this this does ai powered this or ai powered that and my my simple heuristic here is that you know if uh, if you have to say ai powered that means that you know we are not doing a very good job at it if you know for for example right like uh, the spam filters that we are now so used to and we are so grateful to they are pretty sophisticated right? Nobody calls them AI-powered spam filters. They are, ju- they are just spam filters, right? So, um, and, uh, you know, it's really, really difficult uh, to, first of all, understand what the job is, right? So forget picking the candidate, right? Understanding what the job is, that in itself is not, not the easiest task, right? So a lot of job descriptions are not very well written, right? Let's, uh, you know, so that is first, right? Uh, so, you know, you have garbage in, garbage out, even if it's a, you know, a revolutionary AI algorithm, but if the job description is not written very well, what's the algorithm going to do, right? So that is first. Second, that, you know, recruiters operating in certain industries or even people operating in certain, they have years of experience of actually reading between the lines right so um and that's what makes uh, you know uh, that's what differentiates a pro recruiter from a rookie recruiter um and uh, it's not something that you know an algorithm can replicate um and that is why this this whole idea of letting a you know 
just letting you know an automation uh, run rampant is obviously a bad idea but even if uh, you know the the argument that you know let ai pick candidates for you without you know you going through a, a person's profile is still a really bad idea and there is something that you know you sh- a human should be doing that um and what you want to automate is as you said right like the mundane the administrative tasks and uh, uh, so that you know you end up spending more time on things that actually matter right so um, I'm, i'm completely with you uh, with you there so in in terms of uh, you know so you mentioned getting into uh, a spam folder and uh, i i i'm sure you know sourceville uh, uh, at sourceville and you know you you given a lot of thought about uh, you know how do you avoid triggering uh, spam filters so what are the top three things that uh, one should you know one should do uh, at the onset of their journey of uh, you know cold outreach uh to make sure that they don't hit spam filters really really good question so i guess um my overall kind of sentiment on this is don't run before you can walk <laughs> i think when people start using doing cold outreach and they potentially start using automation tool they go from 0 to 100 very quickly and in itself you know that increasing volume and just general high volumes can be a you know a number one reason why people fall into spam um But in terms of top tips, if you're just getting going, the first thing is I would make sure your email infrastructure is set up correctly. People don't often talk about this, um, but you know I won't get too techy on this call. But this thing's called you'll be aware of my name, like SPF, DKIM, and DMARC. Yeah. Effectively, these things are rough translation. Are did this email actually come from this person? SPF, DKIM has anyone interfered with this message on the way? And DMARC is basically showing spam filters. I take this stuff seriously and I'm monitoring my domain to make sure that no one is abusing it. And so having that stuff set up correctly early on, you're already ahead of 7 out of 10 people out there, you know. A lot of people might have SPF set up but they don't have DKIM and they most probably don't have DMARC set up. So having that stuff set up is a good sign to email service providers that you are taking this stuff seriously. Um the second thing is um varying your messaging And again everyone talks about this you know uh, people have various different figures for this but if you've just got the same sequence that you're sending out to thousands of people or thousands of times spam filters as you said are very sophisticated they don't talk about ai effectively it is though they are <laughs> looking for patterns you know people often take their favorite template off the internet uh, that other people have used and say you know you often get these blogs of like i've had a 60% response rate from this crazy weird uh, you know outreach sequence because uh, actually I just sent it to my mum and dad whatever it might be um but actually um the problem is by doing that and copying it is everyone else is copying that too and even though you've set up your domain correctly if it looks like someone else who's got quite spammy behavior is using the same messaging as you or you're just using the same messaging over and over and again your engagement score your kind of spam score or your engagement score will drop your spam score as we call it will go up as well so i think there's um you know hyper personalizing your messaging will fix this but even if you are going for a slightly more wider outreach just vary your messaging up you know you know once a week once a two weeks change a sentence you know change a couple of sentences um you know in sourcewell itself we have the ability to ab test this is quite nice so we can route not only test does something work then another thing but it also varies your messaging up for you automatically as well um that's that's actually great and another uh, uh, so as a heuristic what i uh tend to uh, advise uh, uh, our customers and do this ourselves as well that 
thousand emails of the same uh, variance. Once it's gone, you got to change, uh, you know, a couple of sentences here and there. Uh, make sure that the the thousand first email uh, is different, right? So, uh, just a simple, you know, just helps you do the math in terms of you know how depending on your send rate, how often you should uh, change your uh, email templates. And another way, another important factor that uh, we, we've seen uh, in terms of, you know, uh, not triggering spam filters is your ratio of inbound to outbound emails, right? So if you are, if you're receiving, uh, you know, 50 responses uh, every day of your emails, you can comfortably send 200 emails to 50 emails every day, no problem. But if you are getting only 10 and you are still sending out to 50, then you know you 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 got a few things uh, coming your way, right? So, um, from from your standpoint, what have you seen uh, is the kind of a ratio that one should uh, maintain? Really good question. So, I think I'd maybe struggle to give you an exact number because it really slightly depends on your email service provider. Um, Outlook can be slightly stranger on this stuff than, than what well, Office 365 can be slightly, well, stranger. It can have slightly more varying algorithms than, than Gmail, which tends to be a bit more set and have a bit more of a, like an engagement score. Um, I think one thing that, that's important to note on this and how you can keep the ratio higher is, um, you know, what domains you use. You know, sometimes people use, and, you know, we've experimented with this in the past internally with, with Sourcewell as well, is using a separate domain for cold outreach. And that's okay because the advantage is it, protects your main domain in case someone on your team does get a bit spammy. Um, but the disadvantage is, is, do you have as much transactional email going through that email address as well? And by having normal transactional emails where you have big email threads where you're going back and forth with individuals, that is normal-based email behavior, and that's what you want to keep up. Um, so by moving onto a separate domain, you risk losing some of that transactional email. That's okay if you are making sure you're following the top tips of not sending too many emails, hyper-personalized emails, and you've got a good response rate. You know, if your response rate's above you know, 10%, you should be okay. And that's the kind of ratio we look for. Um, however, there are other things that come into it, like being marked as spam. That, that will kind of give you a, a way higher kind of negative score um, than having a lower response rate. You could have a higher response rate, but if you get an influx of people marking you as spam, which hopefully you wouldn't, as long as your message is targeted and correct, that will do a lot more damage even than having a relatively low response rate. But yeah, on that, on that ratio, roughly, roughly 10%. Uh, we see most of the people using our platform, if they're using it correctly, are hopefully that, or if not, you know, exceeding that by quite a large margin. Perfect. Yeah, no, that, that makes uh, complete sense. And uh, roughly what we've seen uh, across uh, our customers uh, as well. Now, uh, the last thing uh, that I always uh, get into, Tim, is, um, you know, uh, what is one one book, one uh, podcast uh, that has had an outsized impact uh, on uh, the way you think uh, and something that uh, we should all follow? Absolutely. So there's, there's one podcast by a guy called Naval Ravikant, um, spelled N-A-V-A-L. Um, and he's a fantastic tech thinker, but effectively he has this podcast series where he he goes through a lot of the kind of the, the Twitter, he does a lot of Twitter storms or a lot of big tweet posts, yeah. uh, but he basically goes through those and provides a lot more detail on them. And it's pretty much him just monologuing for anywhere from 20 minutes to 40 minutes. But these things are awesome, you know, things, you know, about entrepreneurship, about business, but just generally in kind of like ways of thinking uh, and even to do with kind of like mental health and just, you know, everything basically. So it's a real kind of eclectic mix. Um, but I found that everything he said has been spot on and it's been really, really eye-opening for me. So I'd recommend 
any of the listeners to this podcast definitely tune into Naval. Absolutely. Yeah, so Naval uh, Ravikant is uh, is co-founder of uh, Angel List which is the you know the largest uh, angel investment uh, platform uh, in the world and one of the most original thinkers in the world um and uh, even if you if you disagree with uh, some of his uh, views he definitely provokes a much deeper analysis um of 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 the issues that he talks about so he he he's is incredible and one of the most original thinkers in the world today so yeah uh, i love novel ravikant as well thank you so much tim it's been a pleasure uh, having you here uh, and to all the listeners uh, there will be a link in the description to sourcevale and i'll also put uh, uh, tim's linkedin so you know if you want to connect go right ahead and hit him up uh, on linkedin and uh, just so that you know um if you are hitting him up on linkedin don't mention timothy mention tim uh and that's when you get a response uh thank you so Absolutely. much tim for uh, uh you know doing this with us thanks so much for your time